0: This is John Richard Bell, and you're listening to Leader Lab.
1: So who are you and what do you do?
0: Well, I'm supposed to be a retired business executive. That's partly true. I'm not retired, um, but I am a former business executive that's working harder than ever and probably having more fun than ever. Uh, I came from the consumer packaged goods business, uh, companies the likes of Bristol Myers and Procter and Gamble. And then when I joined Jacob Souchard, which is a name that um, a lot of Americans wouldn't recognize, but when I mention the brand uh, Swiss chocolate Toblerone in the triangular shape, they, then they start to nod. And that business was sold to Kraft uh, some time ago. And after that, I went uh, into consulting, uh, ideally uh, for a year. I I didn't think the world needed another consultant, but apparently so. And I did it for 10 years and then part-time for about five. And during that time, I got interested in writing. and I wrote a few uh, family um, uh, biographies. Uh, And then uh, I I turned that into a, a fiction novel. And then I got into blogging about something I really knew about, which I thought was uh, business strategy and leadership and marketing. And uh, that then came the book.
1: So, I I have to say, I knew you, uh, I mean obviously you you blogged with our site for a long time, but you always said in those bios that you were an aspiring novelist. So I always assumed I was looking for the novel to come. I didn't realize that you had fictionalized some of it and put it together as a novel.
0: Yeah, I mean, uh, the, the reason I say a wannabe novelist, I think that's what you're Yeah, wannabe me. novelist, that's the term. A wannabe novelist is, is it's, it's not published. Um, mm. it's, it's, it's written, it's edited many, many times, and I guarantee uh, that writing fiction is much more difficult than writing nonfiction. So I put a lot of time into that, and um, I, I still need to find a publisher, but uh, I've been spending my time on this business book, and once that's that's over with... Uh, Then I'll move to move to that.
1: Yeah. And and no, no problem taking all of that experience and all of the research that you've done and combining that into a into a nonfiction book. And I I definitely hear you. I I mean, let's with the preface that all writing is agony uh, and, and rewriting is a little bit more fun. And really, it's just fun talking about the writing after you've done it. Um, with with that exception, I'm sure uh, fiction. I actually was an undergrad writing an English major, and uh, always struggled with the the fiction form. Nonfiction is is more interesting to me, <clears throat> which is why I, I don't know if that's why. There's a lot of reasons why I'm interested in the new book. I um I'm I was excited to see this. You know, we John and I have known each other for I don't even know how long, um, and I've been waiting for there to be a book. Like, there's got to be a book. There's got to be a book, and there is. And the book is do less better. And I wonder. Ironically, if some of the reason for waiting a little bit longer than uh, you know, I was waiting for the book to come out is you were you were trying to do less better and take a, a very strategic focus for what the book would be about. And ironically, the book is that subtitle is The Power of Strategic Sacrifice in a Complex World. Here's what I think is really interesting about this book, um, if I may. We've had a couple people on the podcast talking about strategy and talking about how sort of the Michael Porter-esque choice between differentiation and low cost is is – um, increasingly irrelevant because I mean we've had some people on the podcast even say you can do you can be better and cheaper at the same time you can be low cost and differentiated at the same time and it seems like everybody's trying to add into their theories of strategy more 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 and then along come come you saying no 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 no, no. you know it's not about it's not even about doing more with less it's about doing less better uh, which is the, the the main thesis but the title of it where does that idea come from out of your experiences.
0: Well, it started a long time ago when uh, I was part of a management team that was faced with uh, turning around a troubled business, a business that had uh, too many products, uh, too many projects, um, so much red ink, huge inventories, no uh, competitive advantage in any particular category or brand. And so um, when we you know the, the the paradigm is to we've got to do more and more to turn around this this ship because it was in red ink and it was going to go into bankruptcy uh, once the the shareholders tired of, of funding it and uh, we finally decided that our only hope because we were up against the uh, was to actually concentrate on one or two of the ten categories we had so we actually divested the eight it was difficult. Um, we had to close a factory. We had to let go 300 people, uh, fundamentally to save the—I would say—sacrifice uh, 300 people, save the jobs of 200, and then really concentrate on knowing one business. It happened to be coffee. Uh, later, we got into chocolate, but it was coffee. And by doing that better by knowing more about blending and roasting and marketing and, and the, the green bean um, commodity market. Uh, our competitors couldn't possibly know more than us because they had to worry about cereals and, and soft drinks and you, you, you know, the, the broad categories of craft. It is a crapshoot uh, to, to tell employees or to, to communicate to employees that you are going to try to do less better and you're, you're getting rid of eight of your product lines or a third of your business. Uh, they shake their heads Uh, three years later uh, they believed and um, uh, i I gotta admit uh, i was pretty shocked myself (laughs) but once you've done it and and once you've once you've uh, gone through the agony of a turnaround and been successful by by concentrating uh and focusing uh, it it never leaves you so that even when i got into consulting um uh, uh, after my 17-year career there, uh, I saw so much complexity and I saw so many leaders uh, continue to try to do more and more. And they would say, you know, we need you to help us fo- focus. And I, then I started calling it Do Less Better. And I was successful with some of them, but but others just weren't prepared to give up that opportunity. Hmm. I mean, my view, David, is, uh, you know, there's, there's a mountain range of opportunities out there and um, we're not going to climb it. We're going to climb this mountain here. And um, climb it any way you like. I mean, that's, that's the autonomy for your, for your people. Uh, but the leader has to de- declare uh, which mountain to climb. And let somebody else have those opportunities.
1: Yeah. Well, and, and um, you know, I, I think it's that. It might actually be that part. But I think there's something about, like, this, this idea of... I mean, you, you coined, the, it's, there's sort of two phrases in the full title of the book, right? The do less better phrase, which is the catchy one. But then there's the strategic sacrifice part. And I think it's that word sacrifice or give up or let, let somebody else compete in that area. I think maybe maybe it's that we use too many sort of battle analogies in our making of strategy and the way we do business. And so it, see, it feels like if we seed any ground at all, we're losing, even if we're seeding ground for a specific kind of purpose. How do you, how did you deal with, I mean, you, you said in, in the short term people didn't really necessarily believe, but you I mean, the, the core of strategic sacrifice is you've decided that we need to narrow down and focus so that we can be the best in a category. How do you communicate, as a leader, how do you communicate that idea to your people?
0: Well, just if I can go back, um, I think what you were talking about when, when you're saying give, give a, uh, an opportunity to a competitor, isn't that red ocean thinking?
1: Hmm, that's true.
0: Right? That's And, and, and today, yeah, and today uh, we're, we're into uh, Blue Ocean, which is, <laughs> I don't mind if that competitor makes money. I just got to stay ahead in the, in the business I'm in. And that's what we've got to do. So you could, I think in, in answer to your question, how do you motivate people? You're, you're still a team. You're still a gang uh, trying to do better. And when you are doing better, especially when you're against the Giants, there's not a better motivation. But they don't have to lose. I mean, uh, we were up against Kraft and Nestle. These companies are going to win no matter what. But in our little uh, niche, in the in the ground coffee business, we didn't even bother with rose coffee. We didn't bother with the food service trade, too complex. We concentrated on um, uh, retail coffee and decaffeinated coffee, which uh, in the book, I talk about Swiss water decaf, which was a... Um, uh water decaffeinated only and that's how we we did well in the u.s selling that to specialty roasters Hmm.
1: do you think then this is i mean in your experience especially on the consulting side you know this is something you lived through and you had to communicate it to your people but then you had to you had to sell it to the leaders who would then have to sell it to your people do you feel like it's an easier strategy for a smaller Organizational sort of David to adopt instead of a Goliath? I mean, you hinted at the idea that Kraft was going to sort of win anyway, but does this idea work for, or is it as easily adopted in big companies?
0: I think um, if you're a big company, do less better is an option. And if you do it, you know, you, you inherent in it is focus and, and, and you always win by focusing. But if you're a small company, do less better is your only option Hmm. because you don't have clout. You don't have scale. And and when I talk about, you know, craft are going to win any anyway, I'm talking about the fact that they have clout and they have scale. And that goes a long way. You can make a lot of mistakes, but with, with clout and scale, uh, all is forgiven.
1: Hmm. You know, I think, you know, there, I remember there's a chapter in the book about sort of thinking yourself like an entrepreneur and having your people think more like an entrepreneur. And I think you hit it on the head where if it's your only option, if you're in that smaller company, it's sort of easier to do. Um, of course, there are always some challenges
0: teaching people who have, who have thought like a conglomerate to think like an entrepreneur instead. Yeah, and uh, during that transformation of, of that company all those years ago, uh, those people really didn't survive. You, you had to make the change, and they couldn't make the change. They had to leave, and then we were very, very careful about the kind of people we recruited. We loved Procter & Gamble people, but there was a certain type of Procter & Gamble person that would work well with us you know how can you do it with a lower budget if you're interested in that if you're interested in finding the innovative and creative way the breakthrough with less money you found the right place because we do not have deep pockets here and and in, inherent in that is a growing culture of innovation and creativity you move faster you move smarter and you win now this builds on itself right this is very motivational for everyone One of our downsides in that company was turnover. We didn't have enough turnover. People liked where they were. (laughs) So upward mobility was difficult for certain folks. You know, it's funny. I, I was talking to
1: some of my students. You know, we're only a few weeks in to this semester right now, but I was already talking to them about those sort of um, misconceptions, if you will, about how to run a company. One of them being this idea that turnover is always a bad thing. It's always something to be reduced, right? We're always trying to lower our turnover. Well, there are times where you should probably actually um, adopt more turnover, and there's that. And I think do less better is another one of those sort of counterintuitive strategies that ends up working right is this idea of oh don't you grow by shrinking and focusing and then moving and it, it kind of makes me wonder okay i don't want to get in too much you have a great sort of closing chapter about uh, i think you even have to have it after um the Frank Sinatra song "My Way" because regrets I've had a few yes. is the name of it. Yeah, yeah. And I know you, so I don't. I don't necessarily want to get into regrets, but I do want to get into this. Has been your experience? The, the book sort of chronicles your experience as as leading this. Um, you've had a ton of experiences in uh, consulting and teaching other people to lead it, and in a business context. I've kind of. I kind of wonder how this philosophy of do less better has been adopted in your own life as a managing your own life uh you could go into family personal development wherever you are do you do you see it broader than maybe even just
0: how to develop a strategy to win in the marketplace okay i'll I'll make another admission to you here i'm not good at complexity never have been i have no choice but to do less better i i work in the areas that i can manage well and and if i can't i ask for somebody else to do it I'm not good at this computer. <laughs> I use it as a, as a quote, word processor. <laughs> You're doing a great job thus far uh, <laughs> as we're recording this. So that's great. So um, that, that's, I, I think that's inherent in, in who I am. Um, I love sports. I don't play a lot of sports because I do the ones that I, I, I play best at. Hmm. So uh, I, I don't know if I answered your question. Hope no, I, did. I mean you kind of did. So I, I
1: uh, in fact, you even brought it up with sports. I, one of the analogies I, I talk tell people a lot of times is that we we have. I I think. The, the application to our personal life is even, is even more relevant because we have a clear-cut 168 hours a week. And no matter how well we do, we still have 168. In a, in a company, you do less better and you begin to make more and more money and you're fighting a different temptation of uh, always having to stay focused when you could presumably pursue other opportunities. In our lives, we only, we have the same amount of time every single week and it's that matter of focus. And I actually tell people all the time, I haven't played golf in over two years um, and the last time I did it, it was cause that was at a bachelor party. That was a golf outing, right? And before that it was another two years. So really I haven't played in four years. And the reason was that I didn't have, I don't have enough time to do everything that I want to do and have multiple sports hobbies. I have one and I'm, I'm getting better at that one because I'm sort of saying no to all of the other ones. So I'm doing less, but I'm hopefully doing it better. I don't, I don't know if I'm doing it better yet, but that's the philosophy is that
0: if be- you're doing less, uh, you know, and, and you're a hard worker and you're diligent, you're going to do it better. Yeah. It's true. Now, let me just go back to to, uh, a business analogy for one more thing. Yeah. Uh, And I didn't put this in the book, but I realized it afterwards when I was talking to people about it. Doing less better uh, within a company makes leadership easier. Hmm. Everybody knows the parameters. So you're not faced with tons of proposals that are off strategy. You look at things that are on strategy, and that means there's fewer of them, but they're better of them. Hmm. So uh, it it creates and it also creates a culture of innovation and creativity, and that just builds on itself. So, I, I think I was really fortunate um, that we operated that way. I, I think in a uh, in a large conglomerate that was in many 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 businesses, I, I'm not sure I would have been a good leader there.
1: Hmm. Yeah, I, um, I I meant it. You said it, you've, that's the second time you said the innovation and creativity thing. And you you know, knowing me, that's one of the reasons this book sort of stood out to me is that
0: <laughs> you can't see it. <laughs> John, is, up, uh, John is holding is creativity up my copy by David Burkus here. Oh,
1: that's <laughs> good. And, and now I'm holding up his. That's awesome. You can't see that. Um, <laughs> I may have to cut that out later. But um, good moment. Awesome. Um, did I sign that by chance or or something? No, I no, really, no. I, no. I got it a way from to do Amazon. That. <laughs> oh, Well, thank you. Um, <clears throat> So the, the innovation and creativity piece is, is incredibly up my head because one of the myths that's covered in, in my book is this idea about constraints. And in reality, constraints don't um, hinder creativity. They really enhance it. They provide a frame with which to create art. Or my favorite, and just like you, there are things that didn't get into my book that I wish did. My favorite might be a quote from, I believe it was Henry Kissinger, that nothing clears the mind like lack of choice, right? And having a deliberate lack of choice can really clear the mind and open it up to, to broad thinking about how to win in that narrow narrow focus. So I, I, love, I love the book for a lot of those reasons. Um, I love, uh, I'm love i gonna go with the phrase do less better because I feel like it's catchier and you know I'm an American. We don't like this term sacrifice all that often. Uh, we don't like to do it. But I really think there's something there in the idea that a part of your strategy, s- strategy making in general, the missing piece that so many executives, so many leaders have is that it's about what you're saying no to. In order to say yes to something, you have to say no to a lot of other possibilities and ventures and you, you hit that. Um, you hit that beautifully, and especially in an increasingly complex world, the idea of making sacrifices in order to win in one area. So the, the book, again, Do Less Better, The Power of Strategic Sacrifice in a Complex World. John, you're familiar with, with the podcast, so you know what questions are coming next. Um, first, uh, what book are you reading
0: right now? I can only tell you the one I finished. I, I finished it over the, uh, the holiday season, and it was Malcolm Gladwell's Outliers. Hmm. Don't don't know whether you've read it. I have. I w- oh, you have! Terrific. I, I I absolutely loved it. I wish I had read it before writing. Do less, better, because there's a passage in there about the law firm, Wachtell Lipton, M and A, sixty third largest in the world. There's fifty thousand law firms in America. How many offices do they have? One, Manhattan. How many employees do they have? Two hundred and sixty, and their profitability: five million bucks per. Uh, equity partner, it's just a fantastic example. So when I'm talking about do less better, uh, I, I often refer to this example from Gladwell's book. But it's terrific.
1: Have you, uh, by chance, had a had a, a opportunity to read David and Goliath, the new Malcolm Gladwell book? Not uh, yet. I see. When you read that one, you will again wish you had read it before you do the book, because that I is think so. that's again how do you, as a small person or small organization, take on Goliath? One of the ways is by doing less better. So. You've got a lot of disappointment in your future as you read some of these books and realize. But I'll be—I'll be honest with you. That's the challenge of a writer. I, I tell people all of the time that a book is never finished; it's just published. But the idea continues to improve. And I'm sure if we circled back a year after launch on Do Less, Better, there will be new stories and new ideas that you'd want to put in there. Which is actually a great tangent to the second question that we ask everybody: which is, what's next for you? What are you working on now? The wannabe novelist thing, but also where do you see this message going? Maybe leading into new,
0: newer nonfiction books. What's next? for you? Well, uh, fundamentally, um, to to launch a book, a lot of the publicity is on the shoulders of the author today, even though I have a big publisher, Paul Paul Grave Macmillan. So uh, the the first three months of the launch, I'll be be spending uh, doing podcasts and blogging and various things like that, connecting. uh, And then once that's done, I am moving on that uh, adventure novel. I'm proud of it. I put a ton of work into it. And uh, I've just got to find myself a, a literary agent that believes in it. Hmm. Well, cool. And, that's, and where there's a will, there's a way, David. And I, I have the will. Trust me. <laughs> for
1: sure. And and you're doing a very good thing there in shifting your focus. Focus on the nonfiction book. We do less better in that. We shift it. We do less better in the other one. So we'll be looking for that. We'll also be looking for how these ideas morph and change over time, like we, like we talked about, and how as you talk less more – that less becomes better, if you will. I'm playing off way too many analogies with the book, but you get what I mean. John, uh, let me do this. The, The book, again, Do Less Better, The Power of Strategic Sacrifice in a Complex World. John, thank you so much for joining us inside the Leader Lab.
0: Love to be here. It was great, David. Thank you.
1: Hey everybody, it's Dave. Thanks for listening to the whole episode. If you want more, go to davidberkus.com slash podcast. And check out my friend Sean Murphy's Work That
0: Matters podcast. Go to switchandshift.com and click Work That Matters podcast. Check it out.